Yeah. So, you know, I was in insurance sales. I followed in my dad's footsteps, who was an insurance salesman. And we understood this idea. And he taught me this idea of trying to be in control of your income, right? Not just a job, which was awesome. And I loved sales because of it. And I get paid commission from companies. We'd help them with their insurance. The problem with sales is the fluctuation of income. It is not consistent. It's not known. And so me and my wife, we lived on dramatically less than we made, even when we were making really good money, because we just didn't know. I didn't know if a large client was going to leave or something would happen. And I'd have a 40% drop in income. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice. I am your host, Yona Weiss, and I am very privileged to be joined today from AJ Osborne all the way out in snowy Idaho. What's going on, AJ? How's it going? Glad to be on here, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm glad uh, we can get the chance here. Uh, guys, give you a little context. I mean, this is a really spe- special episode because it's not every day we get to speak to someone of this caliber. Uh, just to give you a little background, AJ is the host of two podcasts, Okay, but that's not his claim to, to fame. You may have heard of him from the Self Storage Income or the Cash Flow to Freedom podcast. Both great ones. Definitely advise you checking them out. He's the author of the best-selling book, Growing Wealth in Self-Storage. But more importantly, I mean, you grow wealth in self-storage and then you write a book about growing wealth in self-storage. So I mean, we'll talk a little bit about how you know he and his team you know, have a very huge uh, portfolio of self-storage investment, which, you know, incredibly enough, as maybe we'll get into a little bit before, was the saving grace of his life in a very uh, sudden, uh, tragic uh, bout with a, uh, with a rare disease called Julian-Barr syndrome, which I'd love to get into that, which put you in a coma and, and only because the self-storage you know, investments really kept you guys going, uh, that passive income. So AJ, without further ado, what's going on? How are you doing today, my friend? Doing great, man. Thank you. That was quite the intro. Appreciate it. I <laughs> uh, try, to, try to get a little... A little twist, but, but yeah, I mean, listen, you have an incredible story uh, because you're a successful entrepreneur, successful business owner, um, have started, you know, businesses and are more than anything. I think you would define yourself in terms of business as a, as a real estate investor at this point. Right. But maybe let's go back a little bit. How did that start? I mean, you were in other businesses, but you're also investing in real estate on the side and what made that transition? Yeah. So, you know, I was in insurance sales. I followed in my dad's footsteps, who was an insurance salesman. And we understood this idea. And he taught me this idea of trying to be in control of your income, right? Not just a job, which was awesome. And I loved sales because of it. And I get paid commission from companies. We'd help them with their insurance. The problem with sales is the fluctuation of income. It is not consistent. It's not known. And so me and my wife, we lived on dramatically less than we made, even when we were making really good money, because we just didn't know. I didn't know if a large client was going to leave or something would happen, and I'd have a 40% drop in income. Mm-hmm. 
And the other side of that was the lack of ability to compound. So you compound in sales by selling more, mm -hmm. right? That is directly tied to your time. Compounding and growing wealth though in sales is very hard because there's no asset attributed to it outside your time and knowledge. Both of those things are depreciating and both of those things are not tangible and also they're subjective. And so this creates a really tough spot to be in when you're looking out. Well, in when I'm trying, I was trying to plan out my wealth and how I was going to grow. Okay. 15 years in the future, it was like, well, sell more AJ. And that was the only answer that there right. was. And obviously the answer is if something happens and I can't sell, I'm done. I have no income whatsoever. So we decided, first of all, to start investing because we needed depreciation because our sales income was coming as regular income. It was taxed at the highest level. And so we were kind of double hit there. And right. so it was like, we need some depreciation. So I started using simply because at the time it was like, there's no toilets and this is going to be really easy, right? That wasn't exactly true, uh, but we had a easier. management company running it easier. Uh, the management company was failing. So we ended up taking this storage facility over. We were learning operations. We brought in my brother-in-law who came in, he was our CFO, and he started helping us build systems. And then we bought another one and it was kind of growing and we were controlling it. And we could turn them around after this management company was failing them. And just because we had to, we had no other choice. But we loved the fact that there was no two o'clock in the morning calls because of toilets, right? So we kept doing this and buying some on the side. And it wasn't until after the recession, which we actually did really fairly well during the recession because we had clients we could sell and sell more. And our clients were still lots of times in business and benefits were really important. So we were doing good, but it was like, oh man, after seeing all the calamity and everything going on, it was like, this could all end. And it was, you know, everything going on. I'm like, we need to build more wealth and I need to separate my time from my income. Mm -hmm. So we decided to go uh, get into it way more. We ended up buying more, a couple more storage facilities, just taking that income. But the problem was, was we were using after-tax dollars. So how I analyzed it was I go, if I got a 10% return every single year, it would take me at least five years just to get back to a whole dollar, mm. just to get back to the dollar I invested because I'd already lost half that dollar from the government when it came out. So I'm putting 50 cents into an investment in which it took me a dollar of earned income. So that's how I was looking at it. I guess it's not really accurate, but it was in my mind where I knew if I had investments and used the investment dollars that had depreciation, I was reinvesting a whole dollar of income instead mm -hmm. of 50 cents. Well, if you look at that and you plot that out, compounding your wealth, that is an astronomical difference. Yeah. So I'm like, we need to buy more of this. So long story short, we had Obamacare came in and then that made our future uneasy. We ended up selling our insurance firm and we just rolled the dice and went all in on storage because we'd already built everything out and we still did insurance though. So we'd sold it, but we were still selling insurance. I still had to sell to make a living. Interesting. So wow. I couldn't live off that. You couldn't yet and so, self-storage at that yes, point. Yes, exactly. But we were taking the self-storage income now, reinvesting it. We were getting better tax rate and we were turning these facilities around. The better we got, the more we understood value add. So then we could buy worse facilities, make them even better. 
So over the 10, 15 years, we started compounding at a faster and faster rate of return. So we started in the early 2000s. We've now been through two great recessions, arguably the two worst recessions ever outside the Great Depression in the United States. And we learned a ton from this, this whole episode and example. And we built out infrastructure. We worked two jobs the entire time. And finally, there was this year where we got to the point where I'm like, oh man, it's like replace my income. This is amazing. I'm making all this money on the sales side. I've got this great passive income making. During this time now, my, so my income had basically doubled. And I'm like, right. this is great, fantastic. Our business was now profitable. And then one day I got sick, you know, the, the year of, <laughs> and wow. I wasn't feeling good. And so I went into the hospital. They told me there was nothing wrong with me. Um, so I walked out of the hospital, I'm thrown up and I went and got in the tub because my it was in so much pain and my kids and wife went to bed and I went to get out and I couldn't get out of the tub. My legs didn't work. They sent me to the hospital. They argued for days over why my body was stopped working out of nowhere. A few days later, I was paralyzed from head to toe, hooked to a ventilator. I couldn't breathe, speak, communicate, nothing. Put me into a coma. And uh, when I woke up out of the coma, I was paralyzed from head to toe. And uh, that was over three and a half years ago. And I've been coming back ever since I've got this year, I got out of my, my leg. So I was in a, four months on a ventilator, completely paralyzed. I got my arms back wow. and I got able to breathe. I went to rehabilitation from there. I went home in a wheelchair paralyzed. I, I, I lost my job. My, my, uh, my boss came in and, and let me go in the hospital. Wow. And so I like to say that self-storage saved my family's financial right. life because wow. it did. I was unable to work. It's incredible. I mean, no one should know of, uh, of such things, but when you look at it from that perspective that, you know, thank God you had that foresight to make those investments and then to basically have that wake up call. Uh, you know, a lot of people are, are hit with tragedy and don't know what to do and are totally lost and totally destroyed. We've seen it this year happen, you know, time and time again, especially. Yes. But having those investments allowed you guys to to keep afloat and, and really yeah. keep going during that struggle. And you're right. And I think that for you know our generation, when you're looking at the economy, the ability for the economy to be disrupted is so simple. It doesn't take a lot. I mean, if you think about it, it came out of nowhere and it was a virus, mm-hmm. and that shut down our entire economy. We had more foreclosure or more businesses that went under in a six-month period of time than any other time, including the Great Depression. And there was no way anybody months prior would have predicted that. To to imagine that you were in euphoria six months prior to being bankrupt and out of business is shocking. And what I like to think of is it's only shocking in our context of time. Mm -hmm. But actually, that's a very normal thing to happen in the United States everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's war. It doesn't matter if it's viruses, if it's an economic collapse, if it's a natural disaster. Things that are unknown happen all the time. Right. And in my case, I mean, I was a healthy, young, just, I mean, I was just over 30. And it was like, I love backpacking. I'm an outdoors guy. I'm always going. Yeah. I was an entrepreneur. I was out starting up businesses. I was going a million miles an hour. It was not anything I'd obviously ever even thought of. Uh, but that's just kind of how life is. And with income and the economy, that's a real thing. So this idea of obtaining passive income through real estate became fundamentally important to me. 
Uh, and when I was sitting in the hospital, it was snowing. It was Christmas day. I was still in the hospital. I'd gone in when it was warm and it, I looked out the window and it was snowing and I was so excited because for the first time in months, I was going to get to go home to see my children open a presence. The hospital was going to let me go home for a few hours oh. so I could watch my kids open presents. They had caretakers were taking me there to, to do it before I had to go back to the hospital. And I was so excited. And I wasn't worried about my kids losing their house. I wasn't worried about my kids not having presents. I could go be with them, watch them be happy, get to enjoy that moment with them before I went back to the hospital. And I thought, wow, this is like obviously really important stuff, life-changing stuff. And so from there, I was like, you know, I, I, I need to talk about this more and I need to tell more people about how we got it. So definitely, yeah, definitely need to share that story and share the inspiration to a lot of people because- most people, I think, and hopefully the listeners of this podcast don't fit into that category, but most people don't plan ahead and don't think about, well, what happens if, God forbid, I you know, can't move my arms and legs tomorrow and don't have a job? Will we be able to survive? And a lot of people can't answer that question uh, affirmatively, which is a scary thought. So it yeah. makes sense to take action and make sure that you're, I mean, like you said, you, you were trading time for money uh, with your previous job. And so I think a lot of people, especially in the sales industry, are limited by that. And there's really no way to scale that besides for being more efficient on your time or you know, what have you, getting uh, hiring more people to, to assist you. But that's not scalable. Yep, exactly. And it's, it's, especially people forget that the bigger you get, the more time you have to spend. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't only not scalable, but the more money you earned, the more time intensive it became. And that was a correlation, obviously that can't last. Time is finite, right? right? And so you have this asset that is infinite, which is capital. There's just no end to it because it's made up but yet time is infinite. So that correlation, as far as economically speaking, mm -hmm. is a horrible correlation. And it, it's the exact opposite of compounding. So you got to figure out a way to change that and put the power in your hands that create a financial vehicle or an investment vehicle that can, that can do that without it being connected to your time. It's just fundamentally important. Because like I like to say, my ability to work ended sooner than I thought it would. But all of us, Every one of us, our ability to work will end. That is right. a hundred percent guaranteed. Absolutely, yeah. There's a finite time on that. Mm -hmm. What would you say is you know your best advice for someone in your shoes? Uh, you know, obviously pre pre syndrome, pre comatose. Someone a sales, you know, top sales person. Someone who's doing their their thing. You know, to make sure that they are planning for the future. Yeah, I I think first of all diversification became very important to me, but it wasn't diversification amongst assets or, or excuse me, amongst like people say, oh, I have a diversified stock uh, portfolio, but the stock market is subject to the exact same inputs. Mm -hmm. As in, if you have a stock market crash, if you have 10 stocks, they're all crashing. So diversification amongst asset classes and two, diversification into things that pay you. Because in order to compound, you need revenue to re-put into an investment to get a known rate of return. So first of all, don't just look as like, it's why I don't invest in Bitcoin. People are like, oh, you don't think it'll go up? I'm like, I have no idea if it'll go up or not. But it's not measurable. Mm -hmm. There's no revenue coming out of it that can be redeployed at a known rate of return. So I can't measure that growth, 
right? In a business, I can. I still own a sales organization. I own online companies. I own real estate assets, right? I own land, commercial, storage. I invest in things that pay me that I can take that capital out and reinvest it back into it. So starting compounding early on is important, but you need that appreciation plus the revenue flow mm -hmm. to put back into it. And you need to start now. I had no idea when we started in storage. It was very sad how little we knew because we weren't real estate people. I didn't know anything about real estate, right? And we got started because we thought, oh, this is more like a business. As in, we got to get a customer to come in. They right. got to pay us. We collect the, you know, the revenues and there's no toilet. So let's do it because we still get the depreciation and we still own an actual asset. Mm -hmm. That is as complicated as it was. Our investment philosophy was that they'd be worth more because we could charge more, not because there was some intrinsic value that people liked it more. Nobody liked storage when we were in it. Nobody. <laughs> in fact, people are like, you're like slumlords now right? Nobody want, thought that was cool. We didn't tell people we were buying storage, but the cash flow was reliable and predictable. That's why we bought it because we knew that the cash flow would come in, debt was being paid down, and I could charge more for a unit in five years than I could before. So we analyzed the increase in cash flows. It had nothing to do with appreciation. Now, increasing cash flows creates appreciation because it's valued off a cap rate which means your asset is valued off how much money it will make for you and return on your capital. Right. So if I can increase the revenue of a business, it'll be worth more. So that real estate, that commercial side made sense to a guy that runs a business, an entrepreneurial, and especially from sales where I was obsessed with cash flow. Because remember, my cash flow was not guaranteed. I always had to look at revenue. I always have to be making, bringing in more money, not just because I want to make more money, but I have to guard against the loss of money. So cash flow is everything. And that asset took care of that for us. And so we got started. It, it, we didn't have tons of knowledge. We didn't, it was, we, right. I mean, we were buying in teeny cities that nobody's ever heard of. Like right. we're talking about cities in Idaho in the middle of the mountains that have more grizzly bears than they do people. That's where we were buying. But there's still a need, you know, there's still a, exactly. a demand for, for storage in all these places. And we got started where we could, you know, we, we were investing nine hours away from where I live and it was where we could with the amount of money that we had. We saved up $200,000 and we put it into a storage facility, right? And that's how we started. That's incredible. And I, you know, I think that's, that's such an important point, like invest where you can and what you can. And, you know, don't think, well, I need to get to this certain amount before I can actually invest, or I need to no. find X, Y, and Z before I can actually take that leap. Like figure out what your capabilities are right now and, and find something that, that fits that because now is the best time. Yeah. Opportunity is not given. It is created. And people that don't understand that you, you can't make anything. You've you got to take what you got and figure it out. Yeah. And so whether you have $10 or $10,000, trust me, going from $10 to $10,000, it didn't change my investing strategy. You want to know why? Because I didn't have one. That's so incredible. it didn't matter. It, you know, it was like, we had to go out and create an investment strategy that worked for us. Right. So after we created it, then you get all the returns and then you end up on podcasts and people are like, oh, well, <laughs> If I, you know, if I knew how to do it, or if I had the money to do it, and you're going, we invested in something nobody wanted to invest in, in a place where nobody invested in period, right? in an asset that we knew nothing about, that we had to figure out from the ground up. And you do what you can with what you got. The important thing is getting started. 
Absolutely. And, you know, at this point, you guys have been in the business for, uh, you know, for close to close to two decades 15 years. Now. Yeah, yeah, 15 years. How many assets, how many properties, how many uh, units altogether? I know you guys have bought, sold, done those things. Yeah, right now we're currently holding one point, right around 1.5 million square feet self-storage across, I think we're in six states right now. That's over 8,000 doors for anyone. We, we look at it square foot wise. I, we don't look at it doors and storage because doors equal different sizes. Right. So, <laughs> um, But uh, we have our average facilities, 85,000 square feet. It's on, on average five acres of land. Uh, so it's roughly 150 million plus of uh, self-storage that we own. Awesome. Incredible. And so, you know, to our listener, this just goes to show you, right? You have to start somewhere, but it's not impossible feat to go from zero to 250 million in assets under management, right? When done correctly and done with a business plan and done scaling to, like you said, taking the revenue that's coming out of these and reinvesting it because that's how you are scaling. Yeah. It, and, you know, too, it's interesting because when we got started, it was my dad's idea, which I didn't want to get started in storage because at the time, everybody knew you don't make money in storage. You make money in houses. Like mm-hmm. that's where all the money's that's at, right? This is 2004 then. and five, right? And so I thought it was all about buying houses and multifamily. But I said, but we started in storage and I'm like, yeah, we're going to do this until obviously we find a great house or apartment deal. But because I didn't understand real estate and people were talking about how they made money and I didn't understand because I'm not that smart because I looked at it and I'm like, but this doesn't cash flow, right? This doesn't make money. So I'm just going around. I'm trying to buy up these real estate assets and we're buying storage, but I'm not thinking that that's actually how I'm going to make wealth or income, right? But I couldn't make the numbers work. So I literally settled on the fact that I'm just not smart enough. So I've got to stick with the storage facility because <laughs> I don't get how everybody else is doing this, like which turned fun. out to, after 2008 turned out to be, oh, okay, I wasn't crazy. Nobody was doing it. Like it didn't make sense, but we just, we were very simple. And, and I think that's what people need to realize is a lot of people think you need to make it way overcomplicated. You need to, and you, you really don't. You need to find an investment strategy that will generate cash flow that is secure. And then you need to, if you need money, you go with other people. We syndicate our assets now. Now, And now we've bought everything from bankrupt Kmarts, bought bankrupt office buildings and downtowns, which we're turning around. So what started simple got complex. Right. And so you are redeveloping those and repurposing repurposing those assets. And that's nothing I would have obviously ever even dreamed of. I couldn't even figure out how to buy a duplex at the time. So, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you start very, very simple and worry about getting the basics and creating value and income and creating a strategy that can be replicated. And then as you grow, you're going to learn more and then you see more opportunities from what you learn. Awesome. That's incredible. I love that. I want to jump right into the final four over here, which are the four questions we ask our guests towards the end of the podcast, which is the first one is what's the worst job that you ever had? I worked for a veterinary clinic and my job was to take the dead animals to the dump. Oh no. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's what I did. That's not, that's no fun. Okay. I'd carry them out behind the veterinary clinic in bags and I'd put them in a truck and I had to take them to the dump. Oh, man. I also cleaned out the gutters, but yeah, it was a real classy job. 
<laughs> so, but I, you know, I, I spent most of my youth working on a farm, so it wasn't anything that my parents would send me out from the time I was 13 and all, my summers were spent hoeing beets and fields. So I, <laughs> so it was a step up from that. No, it was a step <laughs> up. Yep. <laughs> I got to drive in my truck and listen to music. <laughs> Wow. Okay. That's a, that's definitely a new one. A unique job. We get a lot of unique uh, comments on this one. Second question. <laughs> what is a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Oh man, there's so many, but I'm going to say that Almanac of Naval Ravikant. I think that's how you say his last name, but Naval is a, I think he's a, a billionaire. He didn't write the book. Somebody compiled all his teachings and lessons and put it into the book. And it's a book that I could read 15, 20 times over. Mm -hmm. It is so packed with knowledge of wealth, wealth creation. It's probably one of the best books for anyone to read, to change their mind and the way that they think and their paradigm of how money and wealth works in the economy and how people achieve it. It's very enlightening. Wow. Okay. Definitely going to check that one at the Almanac of Naval. It sounds, sounds intriguing. The first time I'm hearing of it here, but we'll definitely uh, put that in the show notes. I'm going to check that one out. Just came, just came out a few months ago. Oh, there so you go. I, fo probably... I followed Naval for years. And then, you know, it was like everything he'd put out, I'd, you know, we'd follow. He has a very large following, but somebody compiled it and you can buy it on Amazon. It's killer. Gotcha. Okay, very good. Third question we're up to is what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Wow, there's a lot. Oh, that is awesome. a great one. So as of right now, remember, I'm a simple guy. My skill and talent that I want to relearn is how to run. So that's my goal for this year. If I could learn how to run, I'd be the happiest man that's ever walked this earth because I can walk now. So. Wow, amazing. And so how how long have you been able to been fully... Uh, I guess I wouldn't say fully flexible, but, yeah. uh, you know, back up um, and walking. Yeah. I started walking. I, they started me pretty early on, which was extraordinarily painful. They had lots of equipment. They'd hook me up to machines and mm, we'd, we'd walk, yeah. but I've been walking on my own for a year and a half. And by on my own, I mean, I had crutches, arm braces and leg braces. And then this year I got completely out of the equipment and I walk, my feet don't really work right. But if I walk slow, nobody can really tell anything. If, if I try to walk uh, fast or something, I, you know, I'm the guy falling out in the parking lot. People's like, what's wrong with him? You, you know, I'm, I'm out in Nashville and I'm crossing the street in Nashville and I fell in the middle of the road and I got up, I'm like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. And the guy was, and the guy was, was, was like, what are you talking about? 90% of everyone here is drunk. They just think you're drunk. It's fine. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. I, I, I don't drink, but that's a good point. <laughs> So there was no drinking going on. I just, <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, it should be, uh, it should be with success. That's uh, a great ambition. Get back in fully active. Fourth and final question. And this should be a good one for you is what does success mean to you? Oh, um, success means to me, I have three things and they're my core mottos for everything that I do and it's impact, freedom, and progress. And this, uh, I, I don't associate it as one thing in life, making an impact, creating freedom and progressing within my family, which is my number one, everything for me, my children, my wife, I am very religious. So in my religion, how am I making an impact spiritually and to my community? And I view money as a resource, nothing else. And it's a resource to do more, help more, once again, make an impact 
create freedom and progress. And uh, if I look at every aspect of my life and say, if I can do those three things, I'm good. Incredible. Awesome. Love that answer. And I love how succinctly you put it. And it really, it's a, it's a progress, you know, in, in itself. And I think uh, it's never ending. So that's the beauty yes. of success. It's a journey. <laughs> and exactly. Exactly. There's not a destination. And I think uh, once you figure that out, that, and that's why I like progress a lot. And I became obsessed with progress a long time ago because it was like, well, if, if there's not something that I'm achieving, because I'm very goal driven, right? I want to hit those goals. And I realized that it was about being able to measure my progress. Am I, be, am I a better father? Am I a better husband? Am I a better employer? Am I a better member of the community, right? And do I have a better relationship with my God? And when I looked at those things, I said, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm more involved. I'm more present with my children. Yes, I've grown my business by X percent, right? Those, I could measure progress. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to be going backwards or not moving forward. Right, right, absolutely. Well, incredible, AJ. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah, go to Instagram, AJ Osborne or Self Storage Income. You can go there. You can email me, DM me. I, everything comes straight to me, so it's pretty easy. Awesome. Very accessible. And I appreciate uh, you taking the time today, AJ. I'm glad we, we got the chance. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure speaking with you and hearing this story is inspiring. And if you guys want to listen a little more, I mean, check out his podcast. Like I said, his two podcasts, I should mention that I mentioned earlier on the show, we'll put them down in the show notes, links to those, because you can get a much deeper glimpse into, uh, or, you know, into his life and into what they're doing and how they're scaling and continue growing. So wish you a tremendous amount of continued success in everything you're doing. And uh, thanks again for, for joining. Hey, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Always great talking to you. Awesome. And to our listeners, remember the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I wanna hear from you guys. So I wanna hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.